Hey everyone, I'm Joel Hubbard. I am an Enneagram coach here in the Boston area, and I am so thrilled to be here with my good friend Jim Zartman. Hello, and many of you listening, you are a six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the panel, that is the panel for this episode. And boy, there are a lot of sixes in America. Yeah. And, and they're so diverse from each other. This is yeah, a panel. So. This is our largest panel. Like we had four. We may have had four nines. I can't remember. I think we did, yes. Yeah, because they're so different from each other. We had uh, three that are the more classic sixes, and then we had one counterphobic, which is just a, a really interesting thing that you'll get to hear about and learn about throughout the episode. Um, but these these types of people are are all around you. You work with them. You are surrounded by by sixes and they are a fun and often hilarious group uh, of people. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. There are a number of comedians that uh, yeah. the experts, the Enneagram experts really say, and they can point out the different comedians that are sexist because they're very self-deprecating. They have no problem talking about their neuroses, and it, they do it in a funny way. Oh, so yeah, they well, know, sixes know, I, I, I'm crazy. I know that because <laughs> uh, I see like – bad everywhere, right? I, I, I can see that so many bad things could take place. Disasters are right around the corner. I have to prepare. The sky is falling. You know, the end of the world is coming. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Uh, it can be as big as that or it can be as as, as little as uh, walking into a room and looking for exits, making sure there are enough exits, making sure there are enough fire hydrants in the loca- you know, in the place. And it, it's, it's, it's this constant sort of looking for these things yeah. in the world and yeah, they are uh, an amazing people, and to under to see what's going on behind the scenes as they're walking, as they're thinking about the world around them, is super, super fun, interesting, and also builds a whole bunch of compassion in your own heart to understand. Even though they're being funny, even though they're being lighthearted about it, this is something they live with all the time. Yes, and it's and it's funny because they have the capacity to look at things through every lens and at every angle ever. because they oh, turn man. the thing. They want to look at it. I was just watching uh, the new uh, John Mulaney special on Netflix and so many things he was saying. I don't know if he is a six, but he was definitely speaking that language and pinging it and sort of getting to that part of of that's in all of us that um, is afraid and, and also makes fun of our fear. Like we know some of this is crazy and we all have it in us. So it is a, it is a really enjoyable time to hear from these people because sometimes it's a, it's a very serious part of what they feel and they experience every day. And then sometimes it can just flip on a dime and be hilarious. So Joel will give a longer description at the beginning and then you get to hear from them. This is going to be fun. The sixth panel, because I have my wife, that's why it's going to be fun. Patty is with me. So let's talk about the sixes. The sixes are known as the loyal skeptics, the type developed early on with this sense that the world was unsafe. Uh, some sixes actually say, you know, there was this season where I really felt safe, but then there was this uh, event that took place. And that event really not only told them that the world, but it confirmed to them that the world was unsafe, that there's something to be uh, concerned about out there. And so the six tends to then go to the space of the head, because again, the head is where rationality takes place. You can solve the problems. You can think through and figure out what are the ways to protect myself? What are the ways to make sure 
that I don't get taken advantage of, that I don't experience someone leaving me, someone abandoning me. I don't have to fear that something bad out there in the world is going to take place. So then what the six does is through the rational space, the six comes up with many, many, many different possible ways of ensuring safety. So if you're ever with a six in a boardroom and the big idea person comes in and says, Woohoo, I got a great idea. We're going to do this. The six says, wait, I just thought of about 10 reasons why that's a bad idea. And that that's going to that that's going to cause problems. Yeah, this. But the thing is that the sixes can then be perceived as um, as negative and as pessimists, and that's not entirely true. Or as people that are phobic, because even though that's the way they appear, that's not entirely the story. Because for sixes, there is a desire to see that goal, that dream achieved. It's not that the six can't understand it or doesn't want to see it happen. The six actually can and can understand it and can want to see it happen. It's just that the six's first reaction is to spot the danger in the plan. And if we can deal with that, then we can move forward. But the rest of you are already wanting to move forward uh, towards this thing without thinking through of all the ramifications. Not unlike the five. Now, this is why they're next door neighbors. It's not unlike the five, except that the five, it's for a different sort of driver or motivation. So the six becomes very conscientious. They are the hard workers in America. They're the middle management in America. They have the capacity of understanding what the boss says and knowing what the boss wants, and at the same time paying attention to the marginalized to the one that's lonely in the office space, to the one that no one's paying attention to. And the six cares about that person. The six is the most compassionate of all types. Uh, The six has a heart for for those types of people. And so the six will look at that person and will spot the need and then may bring the need up to the boss. And if the boss says, who cares? They they, they better suck it up or, you know, whatever. Then the six can, can start to become angry and can actually be almost looking like an eight, like aggressive and at the throat of the boss. But it's not because the six is being disloyal. It's because the six, through their loyalty, is recognizing there is something that you're doing that's very unloyal, that's very unsafe, and you don't care. And that's a very unsafe feeling. So I want to make sure you care. Some sixes actually walk down the hall, particularly really uh, relationally oriented sixes will walk down the hallways and are always sort of checking with everybody to see, are we still good? Are, are we still good? Um, looking at their expressions and kind of reading. So sixes are very reading. They're reading all the time, scanning. See, are we good? Is this a, okay? Did you, oh, you looked at me funny. And then they, they start the whole, and then they're, they're, they're going for a while about that. So by the way, many uh, self-deprecating comedians are sixes. Because it's that neurotic uh, kind of way of thinking, and they're okay with it. They're okay even talking about it. Sixes aren't afraid of fear. They are courageous in many regards because they're looking at the fear. They're trying to deal with it. That's what they're doing. They're facing it and trying to deal with it, which is why when, when the poop hits the fan, the sixes are actually calm. They're the ones in the room that can go, oh, hey, everybody, I got this. Because I've already thought through that this could actually happen. You never thought that you might end up in a wood chipper. I already imagined that, and I know how to get you out. Been through it a few times, yeah. So, <laughs> because what's happening for the six is they are already knowing that there's something wrong, right? There's a sense that there's something unsafe, 
And now I've been able to pinpoint it out there. And therefore, now you know I'm not crazy. I told you that the world wasn't safe. I'm not a crazy person. Sixes will go to two points in the triangle. So if you can imagine the nine up top, the three, and then the six, that forms the triangle. The six in stress, who is normally very compassionate, goes to the low side of the three. When a six feels like there's so much pressure and they start to disintegrate and their type isn't working for them much anymore in helping them to feel somewhat safe in this world, then the six pings to the low side of the three, which is the performer, the one that just says, let's get things going. And a typically very compassionate, very aware people six who loves to work within teams and likes teams then goes to screw all of you. You're all bad people. You're all, you don't care. And then the the six just takes charge and moves forward. Uh, When the six becomes healthy, the six goes to the high side of the nine, which is that they begin to relax. They begin to understand that the world is not unsafe, but they actually begin to feel that sense of faith rising up within them. Not courage, but faith. Faith that the world is okay. And when they do, then they begin to look like the nine, which is they're more peaceful. They're capable of hearing all the different opinions, all the different views out there and being okay with it. So that's the six in general, but we'll talk a little bit more, particularly as Patty talks, because the six is the most varied of all types. Um, So there's even the counterphobic six. um, And Patty can share a little bit about that because Patty uh, tends more towards counterphobic six, which is instead of uh, being hesitant or pulling away or trying to move away from things that might be scary, counterphobic six actually deals with the fear by running at it and dealing with it. So anyways, I've talked a lot about the six. I'd like to hear from you guys. See what you guys think. So I, I surf. And what's really great about surfing for me is there's a, like recently, like last week during the Nor'easter, big wave coming at you. And it's really scary. And it should be. And you're like, this is scary. This is good. I've got the adrenaline. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like face this fear. Whereas like public speaking for me is really terrifying. <laughs> but what are you going to do? You can't jump through a wave. You can't hit it. You can't run away. You're just stuck there, you know, having this fight or flight thing happen. So, yeah, it's great when it hits the fan because that's when it's time to act the way we are kind of ready to act. You know, it's not necessarily that, oh, I've thought that out already, but I'm ready <laughs> for the emergency at all times. And a lot of times the emergency isn't, isn't an emergency. And that's where we, you know, we really struggle to just, just calm it down, just like the mental thing spinning or something. It's a little different than the fives. It was funny seeing the fives because you guys seem so vulnerable and sweet. But from where I stand, the fives are very dangerous people. <laughs> they'll, they'll undercut you. You know, they're ready with the facts. And, you know, it could be like, hey, man, you're great. Hey, man, you're great. Let's, uh, you know, let's do something and I'll, I'll get a word wrong. And the five will like, that, no. And that's where I'm like priority, you know, because for me, it's, it's a lot about priorities. Like there's a lot mentally happening and I can process a lot. But for me, it's, I will prioritize that. So if, it's, if I'm dealing with somebody, they may have some facts wrong. But for me, the priority is like, how do they feel ultimately? So I'll let those facts go and I'll go for the, the higher priority because the worst case scenario is that they commit suicide. <laughs> See? See where they Just went? Just like that. Just Boom. like that, right? To the worst case scenario. Because, you know, you were wrong when you said that to me and stuff. But I don't want to point that out because if I really make you feel bad... You might commit suicide. And then you'll have to live. <laughs> and then I'll have to live. That's right. <laughs> so I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's kind of like how, how, it, how it works. Yeah. 
What? <laughs> Get it over with. No, What's going on? Okay, here we go. So when Joel was talking about some of the things, uh, for me, I look at it more as like I'm a realist. So I don't feel like, you know, like I'm like overthinking some stuff. I feel like I'm looking at the world around me in a real way. I don't think I grew up thinking like that. Like the Enneagram has opened up a lot of things for me to give me words and understanding about myself. And so when um, I did read about the six, I remember Joel sending me an email. This was early on when he was learning about the Enneagram and stuff. And he's, you know, trying to pinpoint me and I'm like, okay, whatever. And it wasn't connecting. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think I am that, but. Maybe I am because everyone thinks I am uh, because I can come across like an eight or like a one where I'm like, I, I can be driven. I can be a lion. I can get stuff done a lot in my earlier years, not since I've become a mom and almost 50. <laughs> but when he did send, he sent me a couple of snippets and he didn't put numbers next to them. And he said, just read these and see if anything else connects. Cause I think I've been, you know, misdirecting you and I don't want to do what to you what I would, you know, what I wouldn't do to someone else that I'm interviewing or, you know, learning about this with. And so I was like, okay, you know, so I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this one stood out. And I was like, that is me. Like, I felt like, oh my gosh, that's me. That is a description of me. Like, I felt like my whole life flashed before me mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. things made sense of me growing up and how I reacted with stuff or, movies I like to watch or music I like to listen to or what verses, um, you know, I, I stood out to me more and like I held on to like in, in the Bible growing up in faith, you know, it's, and I'm like, I think I'm this, you know, like, and he's like, are you sure? You know, and I'm like, hey, I thought you said I could explore myself, you know, and I said, this is me. And so when we did the interview more in depth, a lot of stuff came out with it where I, to me, I just thought like, oh, I'm being a realist. Like I'm being in reality. I tended to find myself in jobs or in group settings and stuff, making myself inexpendable for security. So I would do whatever I had to do to make sure that they knew that they were getting more for their money, <laughs> that, um, you know, I knew how to run everything in the place. Uh, I knew how to help anyone. I mean, I was the go-to person. Everyone would come and help me, even if I was just a secretary. Like, you know, they'd come and help me. I'd fix the copier. I'd talk to the right person. I'd advocate for someone. I found myself advocating a lot in the business world, in the corporate world for young girls, interns, um, different people like that, immigrants with management, you know, advocating and standing up for a lot of things that I felt were unjust and, and I felt passionate about because I felt compassion for the person and the journey that they were on that wasn't fair. It wasn't, it wasn't matching my own journey as a white person. <laughs> a lot of things that I, I, I don't think I was like a watcher like for everything, you know, but I was just very aware of my world around me growing up. So this made me think back on so many things. Um, I felt like a lot of stuff was intuition. Like I was just developing my intuition. I had a sense that this was going to happen or a sense that that. And now that I look back on certain things, and especially now that I even look in the present, because I'm hearing myself more in words that I use and ways that I speak, that I realize I think I am unconsciously scanning 
And I'm just very aware. I thought, oh, I'm just aware of like what's going on in the environment. I'm aware of what's going on in a group. I'm aware of someone's feelings, even though I might hurt your feelings in a reactive moment. I will come back and be very compassionate and crying because I have a moment to think about it and I don't ever want to do that. So I will come and rectify something because I want to be a loyal friend. I want to be a friend that I want someone to be to me. And yet, There's a lot of times I don't have that capacity to be it because of how I think about stuff and what I can handle and stuff. And I like what you said, that they still have a desire to dream because I feel like a lot of things that I do, I think it's because I do feel like there's a purpose in what I'm doing. And I think I'm trying to discover a lot of things in that light. So that's why I think I tend to go towards stuff. I I've said a lot of times in my life, I'm always like, I don't want to limit God. I don't want to limit a situation. You only step in a river once and then it's another river because the water keeps moving. So I will take chances and stuff like that. A lot of times I'll say, especially with strangers, I'll be like, oh, I'll never see them again. So let me just try this. I'm scared to do it, but let me try it because I'll never see them again. This is the perfect opportunity because I'll never see them again. So if I screw up or fail or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's safe. I remember starting out with youth, and I was so intimidated when Joel was a youth pastor. I always felt like, oh, I said the stupidest thing to them. I was just like, wow, my God, like what an idiot I am, you know? And I always felt like I was a ghost. And Joel feels like, no, you weren't like talking. I always felt like going into a new church, a new setting, a new whatever, I was like, you know, his shadow. He would be the talker, and I would observe until I felt comfortable uh, or got in a connection that was comfortable. But with the teens, it was always like, you never know what to expect. I always felt like, oh, don't let them challenge me because, you know, I don't like a battle of the wills, you know, and I, I've been there, done that, so you can't lie to me, you know. If I know who you really are, you know, I would connect dots and do stuff like that where I would make something bigger than it was or think the worst-case scenario about a person, and I hated that about myself. I... I would have to have therapy in my head. I I always have therapy in my head (laughs) because I'm not sure of myself sometimes, even though I come across confident or I know I've reacted wrong. So I'm always having therapy and talking myself off the ledge to some degree and making sure that I do things consciously to the other person or how did I handle that? Have I been loving? Did I cause anxiety in them? And and yet I'm an anxiety ball, you know, with stuff. So... (laughs) I feel like there's things that are naturally going in that direction. And so it's totally uncovering a lot with me exploring all of this. So do you hear the six? See how that, like the whole, like every angle is being looked at, right? Is that true for you as well? Yeah. Yeah. For me, there is safety in knowing. The unknown is terrifying for me. I like to ask a lot of questions. I can give you a, a clear example When Joel first started talking about the Enneagram, I was terrified. I did a lot of praying on that. And I had a whole conversation with God about this. And he said to me, you'll feel better if you know. And I was like, I don't know anything about this. It's too scary. And when Joel said, you know, I'd like to interview, I was like, and his God's words were in my mind. And it was, you're going to feel better if you know. So I was like, okay. So I agreed to to interview with him. It, was, it wasn't scary. It was good. It set me at ease because the more I learned about it, the more I could calm down. And for me, not knowing anything about 
a certain topic, I'm frozen in space. I'm totally mm. frozen. Um, I had, I worked with a girl who was a vegan. I never knew what a vegan was. I'm like, what is that? And, you know, she was, she explained it to me. And so I spent the next two weeks asking her 5,000 questions because I didn't understand how that worked. Mm. And once she, once I, once I got to a point where I was satisfied with the answer, I was okay. I was like, okay, now I get it. Now I don't have to ask you any more questions because now I know. So for me, that's, that's my, that's my safety blanket. Mm. Just knowing and having the ability to just ask a million questions until I feel satisfied. Anxiety-wise, well, of late, I'm in a different place, so I'm not as anxiety-ridden as I was. If, if something happened that was unjust or upset me in some way, I would spend days, literally days, obsessing about it, rolling it over and over and over and over in my mind. Every situation, every avenue, every door, every, every, every driveway, every possible way that I could work out the situation is what I would do over, I would be awake 24, 48 hours, it wouldn't matter. I would just keep rolling it over and over and over until I was completely exhausted. <laughs> and then I would just go to sleep. And a couple of days later, I'd be like, why did I do that? Why did I get myself so upset about nothing? Mm. Like, I would torment myself for no reason. Luckily, I don't do that much anymore unless I'm super, super upset about something. And then I will roll it over, but then I turn it into prayer. So mm. I have a better way to deal with it now. But for a long time, that's how it was for me. Mm. And, and it was just because I needed to figure it out. Also, for me, journaling has helps me work through whatever I'm trying to work through. If I have an issue or a problem or something's heavy on my mind, I write about it. And I could write seven pages, typewritten. I can just go. And then when I'm done, I feel like I've put it to bed. I've worked it out. I figured it out. I'm on top of it. I know what to expect. It's all good. And then the world is good. Going back to the, you know, getting into the loop in your head, I think that I would say that I'm a phobic six, not a counterphobic six. So if there's the fears there, I run away from it. And I think a lot of times I actually talk myself out of doing things that I want to do and would probably enjoy. But because I always have that constant worst case scenario in my head, like, well, mm. if, what if this happens? What if this happens? I actually like talk myself into, you know, oh, no, well, you know, it's just safer if I stay home. It's just safer if I don't do anything, you know, all these things could happen, you know, it's just, it's safer if I just stay away from that. Huh. And then sometimes I feel bad about it because sometimes I'm like, you know, well, it probably was, you know, a lot of fun and I have that like, you know, FOMO almost, you know, yeah. the fear of missing out. But in that moment, the anxiety of the what could happen is winning. It's strong. Yeah. 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 So much there. Like you're listening to the this, like the different angles, like you all look at things from multiple angles. It's not just, I've looked at it and I'm ready to go, right? So fives like to thoroughly investigate everything to get as we were just listening to. But for the, for the six, there's this thing of, I want to make sure this thing is safe. I want to have looked at it from every angle because there's, I know there's the devil somewhere here. You know, I know like, it's around this like corner. anxious or something? Are we just more anxious than the five? Because it's like... I'll take the mic, yeah. The five is like, okay, I see the facts. I got the information. I'm good. We're like, okay, I see the facts. I got the information. Okay. 
I'm still not good. <laughs> not happy with this situation. Something can go wrong. One of these facts could fail. Like, we don't really trust the facts all the way, maybe. Oh, interesting. Is that true for all of you? I think sometimes I look at the statistics, too. So, like, if they like, I'm like, everybody flies. They do it all the time. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk over that and be like, I'm not going to limit this in my life. You know, like, how many plane crashes are there or whatever, you know? I think in a way, in a way maybe we don't really understand the facts. Because, like, I was talking about priorities before. Like, I can see all the facts. I can say, okay, this equals this, fine. But there's a higher priority than those facts. So the facts get thrown out. So maybe that just means that we don't, we don't really understand the facts. Because with my five friends, they're like, what are you talking about? It's like this, and it's like this. End of story. I'm like, well, what if, what if this happened? Well, it doesn't, because it's like this and that. I mean, there's the 1% chance. Right? Yes. <laughs> There might be some, this is, might be another six in the audience here. So for you, that, that, that 1% or that 2% is actually amplified in your mind versus, say, you know, some other types that would say, no, I actually find comfort well, in Which makes me think and feel in a way that I understand the facts better than the five because the five isn't accounting for the unknown. They don't want to know about the unknown. And I feel like with my five friends, I'm understanding like the bigger unknown questions better than they are, whereas they're understanding everything else in the whole world better than me. <laughs> well, no, I think you hit it on the head the first time. It's that you don't trust the facts because who decided that this was the facts? How do you know that's the facts? How do you know that? Right. <laughs> the, you know, someone may tell you this that's is the facts, great. but well, yeah. is that person that's telling you the facts trustworthy? Who told you that? How do you know? I mean, and it all just comes back to, like, okay, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> it's like, okay, this adds to this, this adds to this, that's this, but, like, God is capable of contradiction and being right on both sides, so we really can't trust the facts. Wow. So, it, it, see, and that for you, it's, wow, it goes really to the existential part. Like, that's where it ends. That's where it ends. That ends there. That's where we don't know anymore. <laughs> So how do you maintain, how do you keep your minds? Because this can really make you spin, doesn't it? I mean, to some degree, make you really feel anxious. So what has been the process for you of managing to get yourself back to that place of calm? I think I touched on that already. For me, I've learned to put it on paper um, and, and work through it on paper. It validates what I feel. I can see what I feel. I can see where I'm coming from and I can work it out. I can figure it out on paper. And when I'm done, I feel better. I feel relieved. I feel released. I feel, I don't feel prisoner of that. I spent a really long time as a prisoner of my own thoughts, stuck in my own head, chewing things over and over and over and dissecting them and never made me feel better. I never felt like I had a, a solid answer. I didn't have solid ground to stand on, even though I spent hours and hours torturing myself. And prayer also has set me free from the hamster wheel, because that's really what it's like. It's like you're just running and running and running and running and hoping to find an answer and hoping to find the safety net, and there isn't one. You just keep going. Because you can never get enough answers to actually no. solve the issue of the fear. No, you can just keep running. Because for every answer you get, there's another issue, Right? Oh. Yeah, so so like I have I have an issue for every issue. So running on this <laughs> hamster wheel is not solving anything. 
things are always changing. Constant. So, yeah. so stability, I mean, things are always changing. You just said that's, that's really important. So stability is something I, you're seeking. Yes, you need solid ground. You need solid ground. You need solid need ground. You can't, you can't walk on a tightrope without a safety net underneath. You just don't do that. Yeah. Because I could fall and die. A period. Yeah. So I just need to know that something is going to catch me if I fall. There has to be safety somewhere. And trying to roll it in my mind is not the way to do it. Like, what does safety look like? That's, well, that's a great question. Safety depends on what the situation is. I guess safety is me understanding, me knowing what I can expect. I don't like surprises. Don't throw me off my game because I'll just shut up. I'll just be like, that's it. I'm done. I'm off. Mm. I like to know what to expect. I like to know what's going to happen. So, fine, fine. but you, you go through that enough times to where you realize you actually can't control every little last thing and you can't always create safety. And when you get to that point, the only safety is faith. That's the final safety. It's saying, my mind cannot get this. My mind actually trying to get a grip on it. That's the danger. Ooh, that's, that's really insightful. Say, say more about that. What is that? Because you've gotten to places of, you said faith is really the thing that, so say more. I'd like to want to hear more. That's, that's insightful. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so when, you're, when your mind is trying to figure something out and you say, you're thinking in your mind, like, okay, if I can only figure this out, then I'll be safe. You get to a point where you realize that it's the act of trying to figure it out that's making you unsafe. Mm. So it's a letting go. Yeah, wow. That makes you safe. It's totally contradicting. Yeah, I was going to say it can be consuming, so it can take over your life or affect the relationships and stuff. So there's got to be something else than just trying to grasp it. So I think over time I've come to the realization because of not handling things really well that connecting the dots and stuff was not truth. It was not bringing truth in my life, and I did want truth in my in, life. In what, in what way, truth? What do, uh, what do truth you mean by that? in the sense of how I saw others, how I okay. felt yeah. that yeah. they felt about me, yeah. um, if I was helpful, if I was useful, mm. authority, like trusting people. You feel betrayed enough in certain things over the years because it happens, and you realize you can't. You can't figure it all out. You can't fix it by trying to figure it out in your head, no. by trying to replay the scenario. Mm. And it ends up hurting me and it ends up hurting people I love. And I don't want to live like that. So I, I think certain things have come to a place where you start realizing, don't, I don't want to connect the dots because that is not giving me truth. It's not giving me peace. Mm. And it's not helping my marriage, my friendships, you know, the areas in my community that I want to want to be a part of and I want to bring life to, you know, because you want to bring life and you think you're helping with some of these things because you can observe things and scan and things. So I am like a solution person and all of that stuff, but there's something that is deeper and, and, and bigger and it does end up going you know, realizing you can't get your mind about it. You're limited. I realize I'm limited. I am not God. I am not more than just Patty. I'm flesh. I'm limited in my brain. I'm limited in my information. 
And so again, like I talk myself down on things. I talk to God a lot because I feel like for me and my faith, I feel like he's the only one that can see the worst of me and I can still feel safe there. And so it challenges me to say, if I do believe in this God, do I believe he's good? Do I believe that even though I don't fully understand all the things, like I don't, want to, I don't want to fit God in my head. I don't want to fit my higher being, my God, my Lord uh, in my head because then it's making him not more than me, yeah. you know? And, and I don't want to limit that as well. I want to keep my faith open and my heart open and I want to continue a journey healing. So for me, I mean, I've done different things over the years. I've done spiritual direction with people over the years. I've done over 10 years ago where I did it in a group thing called The Well that really dealt with really well-created questions to make you have to think about life and who you are and, you know, how you might fit in. But there's something with this journey that I'm on that is really giving me more words and more like aha moments that's putting a piece, pieces of puzzles together that are making me see that I didn't know how to know where I was needing to understand more about me. I was always like, I don't know, who am I? Who am I? And it's like all of a sudden things started coming into place with being able to reflect on my life and having words and just a, some kind of understanding of why I do what I do. And it's not that I'm in a box because I feel like there's a beautiful design to it. Like we could say we're random or whatever. And I think we are unique for some reason. And somehow I feel like my God has done something where we're unique, but in the same sense, there's a beautiful design there where we can find the discovery and go deeper and discover the design of who we are and see the beauty of it and the humor in it, you know? (laughs) and grow from it, you know, and understand people that we love a little bit more. You're never going to understand them where you can manipulate them or anything. You don't want to do that, but, but where you can understand and realize, you know, even in marriage that this thing is that we, we're going to be married 25 years in September. We've been together 28 years and there's things that cycle and cycle. And you're like, why do we keep cycling this thing? We think we've dealt with it. We think we've understood each other. We think we've understood each individually and then together. And then you bring a kid into the mix and so many things that change and ministry and work and different things that we're constantly crossing in our paths together and doing together. And you feel like you peeled the onion and you dealt with stuff. But it gives you a little bit more understanding of what the triggers are and why we keep repeating some of the patterns that we repeat in our marriage and in our conflicts or in how we communicate. And it helps me to give grace, to be able to give what I want in return too. I want there to be grace for who I am. And I want someone to be able to see the beautiful side of it and still the broken side of it too, you know, where I haven't discovered it all yet or I haven't, you know, I'm navigating it still and be able to give grace and and be okay with someone and not have offense or be offended. And so this is what's been like the journey for me of why I want to do this well and I want to do it better because I've had many, many years, I'm 48, I've had many years, a lot of different things 
And for some reason, I still cannot, and in my Bible and my journey, there were things that I could understand in a gut level. Like, I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Like, there's an anchor in my soul for some reason with, with whatever has gone on in my life. The good, the bad, the ugly. I've always been able to separate man from God. But I still have not fully understood myself. I've understood myself in, in light of Christ and the Bible and stuff like that. But there's still something that was in, under, not understandable to me. And so it's helped, you know, with faith. So, yeah, I have something to add to that. So I think the, the issue is like thinking ourself in this case, thinking of myself. You, it's interesting. You're saying a lot of like, where is yourself? And you said you feel good in this gut level. And for me lately, I've been like saying, oh, this isn't myself. Mm-hmm. This, my personality, what's in my head is not myself. Yeah, yeah. Myself is something down here. It's letting go and saying like, I can't figure it out. And when you say I can't figure it out, at least for me, I, I've had times lately where it's like, I can't figure it out up here. And then having this like breath in and being like, I am just like I am down here. Mm-hmm. You know? What you're talking about too, and this is the truth for all the head types, five, sixes and sevens, we, we think that we are our thoughts. That's the part of the problem is we are our thoughts. There's no separation between how I think and my identity. And what, we're, what the Enneagram teaches us is that there's an inner observer that is separate from your thoughts and your feelings and your actions. So body types say, I am what I do. Uh, head types say, I am what I think. Heart types say, I am what I feel. But there is a distinction between those things. You are something greater than that. So it's just something to that. So for us, the fear in that is that's a huge threat to who we think we are. So you're like, okay. oh, there's an observer that's down here. And it's so scary because it, it means this is all going to die. It oh, does. It really does. Because yeah. like, all of our like, fear and stuff, it's about survival. It's a survival yeah. mechanism to protect our ego. Yeah, yeah. And when you start to say, oh, there's this other self, this other observer, we're like, no, no, I gotta, I'm not going there. I got to protect this thing. Yeah. And then it's when you start saying, no, I'm not this thing. I'm this thing. Yeah. <laughs> that you yeah. start to chill out. Yeah. And where the, where the anxiety oftentimes is stored in the physical body for sixes is in their belly. And, um, and this is what, is what is an indication that your body is actually saying, hello, I'm here, and you're not paying attention to me, and I need you to come back to, your, to, to the body. And your biology and the sciences now are, are really supporting this, that your body's constantly communicating to you whether you're paying attention or not. <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's something that that the Enneagram teaches us is to integrate the heart, the head, and the body so that we're one, <laughs> you know, and, and then we become one with God as God, you know, John 17, uh, that, that great passage of scripture there. So the idea of, of integration really is it's counterintuitive to each type. For us head types, it's hard for us to understand that it's actually as we pause this thing and let it rest, that there's this, this awareness that happens that's at a deeper level than the head level. Mm-hmm. And that awareness is that thing that Patty was talking about that, uh, that some of you have, got, got, have talked about. There's an awareness that comes that's truth. That's why I asked you about truth. What do, what do you mean by truth? Is because if it's truth purely from the rational or the spinning thing, it's that connecting of the dots. See, I figured it out. I've got it. Until the dots change. Until the dots, oh, until the dots change. <laughs> right. That's really well said. So I want to hear from you guys. I mean, so, so the dots, that's a great. So, Well, first of all, do you guys think that uh, your brain 
was your strongest asset? Did you look at your intelligence as being the strongest part of your, your being? Like that's, that's, that's where I go for my refuge. I can't rely on my muscles. I can't rely on, on this or that, but my head's pretty good. Patty, you just said you question everything. Everything I think about. That's the ambivalence, yeah. So I don't feel like that's my strongest asset. No, I don't. Because if it was my strongest asset, I could accept what I'm thinking. But I can't because I have to question everything I'm thinking. And that's why you're still in your thoughts. That's right. Even though that's not your, you don't feel confident about that. Yeah. So I think the brain for me, the brain is like, if it's a car, like it's the engine. And yes, the brain for me, I can plow a lot of, data with the brain but that the escape is not in the brain it's if it's a car it's the driver which is like the discernment so it's kind of the brain but it's this kind of like controller of the brain so i can the power the real power is to say okay like i can chew through this problem but i'm not going to drive in that direction because of that i'm going to like drive this way you know but it's that's still like it's it's a little better than just trying to process you know it's a little bigger picture process but then the real safety is kind of going even a little further back and being just sitting there in the car and being the whole car, not just turning the engine off, you know? I think for me, especially growing up, um, th- thinking is what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. So that was more of a place of safety for me. Mm-hmm. I was always the, the straight-A student, you know, all the accolades and awards and all that stuff. So that was sort of, yeah, like I, yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, focused on that because it was comfortable for me. It was something that I was good at. I mean, you know, I have three college degrees. So, um, you know, that's just, you know, I would have gone, if I, if, if money was no object, I would probably would have just gone to school for, you know, my entire life. Cause it's what, it's what I enjoy and what mm-hmm. I, you know, and part of that might be, you know, we didn't really get into the wings, but part of that might also be, cause I, I'm pretty sure that my wing is a five. So I like the knowledge gathering, you know, I was nodding along when they were talking to, um, but yeah, I do. I feel safe in, you know, and I mean, part of that's still, you know, the, you know, more information means less doubt, less, mm-hmm. you know, where, like the more information I have, the more I can say, okay, well, you know, this worry is not something I really need to worry about, but there's still never enough because I'm still always yeah, in that loop. There's always more. Let's get one more question from, yeah. But yeah, it is scary to turn the engine off, but it's realizing that you're not the engine that makes it not scary. So in friendship and relationship, what do you need us to understand about you? What's helpful to you from us? The one thing to understand is that our biggest, like, fear, worst case scenario is that you're going to run away. And that's always the fear. And it Mm -hmm. takes us a long time, or at least me anyway, it takes me a long time to get past that fear. I mean, even with, like, my husband, sometimes I'll be like, are you sure you love me? You know, are you sure you don't want to run away? You know, and I think that's one of the things we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, but you, you're always like pushing the button, you know, and always like testing that to make sure that like, you know, well, what if I do this? Are they going to run away? If I do this, are they going to run away? So I think that's, you know, for me. Anyway. To your point, um, like the, fir- the first step of it is, is just to be like, okay, let's talk it out. Just like, what questions do you have? Okay. Any other questions? What else do you have to say about that? Like if I'm in a fight with my wife or we're having some disagreement or whatever, I just want to get through the whole conversation. Like, let's get through the whole conversation. Let's cover all the angles. And then I'm okay. But she's a one. She's like, she doesn't need to go through the soap because she's a one and she just wants to say, this is not, we're not even having this conversation. I'm out. 
I say, well, then can we just get reassurance? It's going to be okay. You're okay. We're okay, right? We're okay. We're, of course we're okay. Are we really okay? Really okay. I, I don't want to worry about this. You don't have to worry. It's okay. That's kind of like the, mm. end, the end game. <laughs> we want proof that it's okay. <laughs> so I think for me, I do like it straightforward. I hate like, when people give like disclaimers because they're walking on eggshells or something around me or anything like that, like, to, like talk to me, like I'm a person, I have feelings, <laughs> I'm a helper, you know, but I think it's, uh, I think it's feeling, I think what would make, makes me feel safe is the idea of support, care, which is, I feel like someone that cares about whatever I'm doing in a sense. So it's not in a patronizing way or anything, but it's um, so it's not like appreciation support type stuff. It's like, like you're there, you're, you're all, you're in, you're in to help or to do something or you see the value in it or whatever, um, or care. So I know that you're like here, you know, I'm not on my own on this thing and it's going to become unstable because everyone around me is unstable or they, they're not with me. I think it's that feeling too. It is the counterphobic. <laughs> but yeah. It's still the same motivation, just in a different yes. approach to it. Yeah. 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 Just mm-hmm. let's go out and laugh and not take life so serious. <laughs> Help me do that. Yeah. <laughs> Help her do that. Yes. <laughs> Help me do that. Yes. I think too, because like when I connect the, with connecting the dots and all that stuff, like things can get irrational, but I can like, so for me, I do need to escape, you know, like you were saying, you were asking about the head thing for me, I do need to escape in a sense and reconnect with my emotions in a way that I feel is pure, like, like real to me, you know, with everything going on, I will go, go, go all day and do what I have to do as a mom, as a wife, as, you know, uh, ministry, work, um, house, whatever. But I will shut down and I have to feel pure emotion and feeling and like some overcoming of something. So it gives me courage and faith to do the next day. And I feel like I am real and I do have passion and compassion and I do have dreams and all those things that I want more of in my life for myself and my family. Mm. Okay, so for me, I would need you to hear me. Yes. Be present. Yeah. Nothing makes me more upset and makes me feel more unimportant than you not listening to me. And the other thing for me is giving me the freedom to do what I'm doing. Don't squash me. Yes, that's me too. Right? Oh <laughs> if I've got something on my mind that I want to do and you want to come with me, come, because I'm running. Don't get in the way. If you don't want to do it, get out of the way, because I'm running. This is it. If, if, if you want to know how to get along with me, give me those two things, and now I'm happy. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's not a question, it's just a comment. That's, um... That really speaks... To Patty, and actually, it speaks to Joel too, um, being a seven and a six. I met you guys in 2009, and I think the second night I met you guys, we're talking about it was some story about a lion or a bear in the Bible, maybe Samson. And you guys were putting yourselves in the story, and Joel was talking about um, all the ways to avoid this beast in the wilderness, right? About being afraid of it, about staying away, which is 
sort of your seven avoiding pain. And Patty just goes, well, you could just kill the thing and then you won't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> and there's your counterphobic six. The counterphobic six, that's right, that's right. So a big thank you to the five panel and six panel. Thank you so much. And uh, really insightful stuff. And have a fantastic evening. Hey, everyone. Thank you again for listening to the Enneagram Panels podcast. Our next episode is the seven panel, and it is the last of season one already. I realized I had mentioned typing interviews on previous podcasts, but hadn't explained what that is. That is where an Enneagram coach like Joel will ask you a series of questions and interact with you to see what most likely your number is, which will help you figure out uh, a step forward for yourself and your personal growth, and also how you're going to best relate to other people. So if you're interested in a typing interview or learning more about the Enneagram or coaching with that, you can contact Joel through www.joelhubbard.com. The Enneagram Panels podcast is produced by Talkie Records in Lynn, Massachusetts, and made possible by Vine 39 Church in Stoneham, Massachusetts, vine39.org. All right, that wraps it up. Till next time, have a good one.